I don't care if you're in a nursing home. We're going to drag you out of that nursing home and put you in jail. I don't care. One way or the other, you're going to pay for it. Welcome to The Lead, a podcast of law enforcement stories told to you by law enforcement officers. I'm Anthony Rodriguez. And I'm Fatima Simici. And today we'll be talking to Detective Springer from the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. About the brutal murder of 14-year-old girl, Rachel Hurley. Detective Springer is a law enforcement veteran. And frankly, he's one of my favorite people. He's all law enforcement. He's known as a ferocious man. He has a nonstop drive to solve Palm Beach County's most notorious unsolved cases. Well, I enjoy working cold case homicides. They're interesting, they're a challenge. Uh, and homicide to me is when people take somebody's lives uh, they really need to, to uh, stand accountable for it. I mean, there's justifiable homicides, but, you know, when they're, they're um, like Rachel Hurley homicide, which was a, a true victim who uh, somebody viciously murdered, I believe that they need to be caught and pay the penalty for their crime. Rachel Hurley was a popular 14-year-old girl who attended Jupiter Middle School in Florida. She was known by many as a popular student who was always surrounded by friends. Now, as we look through her pictures, we can't help but acknowledge her charm. She had thick, long brown hair that would gracefully fold down to her shoulder, a genuine smile and piercing brown eyes that would beam through most of her pictures. <laughs> Rachel had like this really robust attitude, and um, you know we all loved her for it. She was just what kind of larger than life. And she uh, she was sassy as hell that day, so I have a lot of good things that I've written down about it. That was Erin Lottison, Rachel's friend. Now she was one of the girls who last saw her alive. Um, I'm better writing, so what I could do is just kind of give you an entire uh, document that kind of goes through the night before and the day of. Now, Fatima, can you read us a little bit about what she wrote? She was beautiful, friendly, likable, popular, hilarious, and she was the boss of the crew of friends. She was known as the coolest girl in school, with the best hair, the quickest wit, and a charm that could disarm just about anybody. She had a curious mind and an optimistic view of the world and of others. On March 17, 1990, it was St. Patrick's Day. Rachel spent the day at the beach with her friends. She was supposed to meet her mother at Carlin Park, just around 3 p.m., but she never made it. The day before she died, she had spent the night at her friend Maddie's house in West Jupiter with other girlfriends. That night, they watched the 1982 movie Basket Case. What's in the basket? 
my brother. <laughs> Open it if you dare. The next day, they stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts, just before being dropped off at the Jupiter Inlet. They met up with some boys at Six Marina. Now, we did our research. This marina is not there anymore. But 30 years ago, it was on the south side of the pier. Now, this day was windy. It was cloudy. But still, their plan was to go out to the boys' 12-foot Boston Whaler boat and hydroslide all day. In the memoir that Erin wrote, she describes a good time. Rachel was her usual self, buzzing us all around and being the center of attention. I remember her falling off the hydroslide at one point, and the boys kept the boat going, pretending they didn't see her fall. She was so mad when we finally circled back to her, and we all, including Rachel, laughed and laughed. We had a blast. So around 2.45 p.m., after being dropped off, Aaron tells us that Rachel began to get a little antsy. She asked the guys to drop her off right on the shore, just south of the marina, so she can get closer to where she needed to meet her mother at 3 p.m. Now, in her memoir, Aaron remembers Rachel grabbing her towel, her pink hairbrush, and jumping off the boat. She writes... Maddie had to use the bathroom, and Rachel said she couldn't wait because her mom would be waiting and mad if she was late. With a quick flip of her hair, she was gone. Rachel was short, but a very fast runner. And in a flash, she was gone. She was wearing boys' blue gym shorts and a white t-shirt. It's around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, she's going running down the beach. Uh, according to all the information that I've obtained from different people, there wasn't many people on the beach that day because it was a windy day and the uh, sand was very, you know, it was blowing really hard. And uh, if you ever stood on the beach when it's blowing hard, that sand really stings your legs and body. It's very unpleasant. Uh, she ran down the beach um, and then she took a shortcut through the uh, wooded area and uh, that's where she was attacked and murdered. to see where Rachel was found, so we headed over there. All right, we're here. So we're at the edge of a parking lot of Carlin Park, and right at the corner of the parking lot, there's a moshy forest and in front of a few boulders on the floor here there's a trail that leads into the uh, into the woods so let's go check it out it was it was raining uh, that night right when they found her body it was raining wow look at some old Budweiser Hands. I mean, it is a place where you can come and you can hide. 
So like we're going up this trail and it kind of opens up to an area where there's uh, looks like there's a a fire pit and uh, some debris um, but there's just trees everywhere no wonder it, it took them a couple of hours to find her body let's keep going down that trail and see what we find There's glass shards everywhere. So from Du Bois Park is north of here. She was heading south. And this was kind of like a shortcut. She came through here and walked herself, her walk herself out. Right, so she was, this was like the shortcut to meeting her mom at the parking lot. And so th th this must have been quick right because she left the boys park around 2:45 her mom was here at 3 15 minutes when she didn't show up at 3 o'clock uh, they started calling friends uh, looking for her uh, people came to Carlin Park started uh, searching for her uh, and about eight o'clock, they found her body. So it was from around, I would say probably from like 3.34 until eight o'clock at night, we were all, there was a huge search party made up of her friends, her friends' families, and just like random people at the beach were searching. And we searched all the inlet. We were driving all around Jupiter asking people, um, but me and a group of my friends and my mother and dad and my little brother, we were at the inlet and then also in those woods. We were all searching in those woods. And then at one point, my mother took everybody out of the woods because she was like, because I said to her, Mom, what are we searching for? Why are we in these woods, like, you know, lifting up trash? And I think it dawned on her that, oh, why do I have these children in the woods and we're potentially looking for a body? So she got all of the kids out of the, out of the, the woods and we were just kind of, we just kind of congregated around the Civic Center in that little parking lot there. And then at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, it was my father who told a group of people, he came over and he said, we found her and we all sort of breathed you know, breathe this sigh of relief, and then he said, but we think she's dead. He said, we think she's dead. And we were like, what do you mean you think she's dead? And he's like, she's dead. And then we all just, of course, started going crazy. And uh, my mother was going nuts. <laughs> Everybody was going crazy. Um, it, was, it was just as terrible as, as it sounds. 8.15 p.m. That's when detectives found Rachel's body hidden in the woods. Her nude body was faced up. Her clothes were nearby. The people who we spoke to remember her parents and all the children hugging and sobbing. They just couldn't believe their eyes. The search was over but the investigation had just begun.
we asked Detective Springer what was the cause of death. And he said that the autopsy results indicated that Rachel's cause of death was asphyxiation. At that time, the community of 28,000 residents all wonder, who would do such a thing in Jupiter? Well, she was, like I said, she was taken off the path back into a wooded area. Uh, adjacent to where her body was found was uh, a homeless camp uh, with female clothing in it and other items that were all collected. Um, that belonged to her? No. No, this was a homeless camp, um, and we're not sure who was living in it. The nice part about DNA, I mean, uh, we never had it in the 80s. It didn't come out until the 90s. Um, we never started doing touch DNA until around 2004. And what's touch DNA? Well, that's um, where we were collecting DNA from somebody touching the door, touching the body, on the shirts, different things. Prior to that, it, it had to be body fluids, semen, blood, uh, saliva, something like that. But then they discovered they were, could get cells from uh, swabbing. Now... There's new techniques out they call the MVAC where they actually uh, vacuum the clothing to pull the, the DNA out. So every year something new seems to come out. Uh, and that's what's nice about cold case now. You can go back and hopefully process what you couldn't do back in the 80s, the 90s. The 2000s, you can go back and, and try new techniques, new, new things. Uh, we presently have um, some foreign uh, DNA, which everybody knows. I mean, you know, it's not like a secret that, because when they, the press asks you, what do you have? Well, you know, they know what you have. I mean, we're working with some. If we can enhance it and make it better, that's better for me and bad news for the bad guy. So you have, obviously, you have Rachel's DNA, and there's DNA that does not belong to her. That's correct. And so all you need right now is a match to that DNA to find out who may have been around her at the time. That's correct. If I can get uh, a match to that DNA, but like I said, we're doing some additional testing on some items uh, that hopefully I can enhance the DNA that we presently have. Uh, I can work more with it. And if I can do that, uh, there's other avenues that we can go to possibly identify the, uh, the suspect. So on the 25th anniversary of Rachel's murder, her mother, Andrea Hurley, spoke about her daughter in a press conference. Our Rachel, to her family, was a feisty, sassy, beautiful girl who made us laugh with her silly antics. She was a force to be reckoned with, a charmer who often, we often said, could start out with a quarter, travel the world, and return home with change. She was always really, always really hard to tell her no. Her absence has left a huge void and a myriad of what-ifs. To her friends, who all lost their innocence on that day 25 years ago, she was curious, optimistic, bossy, a leader, kind and thoughtful, and just plain cool. Thank you to those friends who love her to this day, who try to make sense of this 
and tirelessly still try to help find the person who took her from us. Thank you also to the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office and the detectives that still follow every lead. I ask that anyone who might have information, no matter how small it may seem, to call the Sheriff's Office. Yes, Anthony. I got some really bad news uh, over the weekend. Uh, Mr. Hurley, Rachel's father, passed away. Uh, and to me, you know, like I said, he was deprived of seeing his daughter grow, go to college, get married, have grandkids. He was deprived of all that. Uh, I mean, he was a great guy. He was a coach. Uh, he passed away coaching his grandson's lacrosse team. Uh, he was just a great all-around guy. And I'm just sorry that I couldn't solve his daughter's murder before he died. for listening to the lead. We spent countless hours going through information from the detective, from the friends and family. So, Anthony, this was one of the most difficult things I'm guessing we had to do to retell her story. I mean, we, we are aware of her story We've been covering her story every year, year after year. Yeah, like, like last year when we uh, created a Twitter account dedicated to her. Uh, yeah. And, and we did it like in her voice. That was really hard. That was difficult, I, even trying to get all the details from, from her friends. And it's been almost 30 years. So they don't remember exactly to the T at the time that things took place, but having to put that together was extremely difficult. But we do it because we want to get out there. We think that, mm -hmm. you know, this is not a local story. We want this to be a national story. The person that lived in Jupiter 30 years ago could have moved away. Yeah. Or somebody that knows somebody could have moved away. So we want to get this national attention. Now, um, do you remember the handle so that maybe people that haven't seen the Twitter account could go and check it out? Yeah, make sure to check out Rachel Hurley 90 at uh, on Twitter. And you'll see in her voice what happened minute by minute. We did it on her anniversary last year, and it was chronological right where right up to where we, when she was found. Yeah. So we were doing real-time postings. Um, of everything that took place from the night before, which I remember it was uh, uh, one of the, I think it was a sleepover that they had at a friend's mm -hmm. house, till even hours after her body was found. Um, and this year we did something a little different because we wanted to make sure we documented everything that happened, but in a documentary style, um, along with the podcast. And you can check that out on YouTube. Yeah, if you follow us. PB County Sheriff, you'll be able to see the documentary for Rachel Hurley. Yeah. 
Uh, and we would like to thank everyone that was involved and that helped us make this possible, starting with Detective Springer, who was there, um, answering all of our questions, our media team here at PVSO, and Rachel's friends and family who provided us with all the details. Uh, I know that this is very difficult to have to relive the story over and over again, but um, we do it for a reason. We have a purpose behind this. And anybody with any information, where can they contact us, Anthony? So if anybody has any information, they can call us at 1-800-458-TIPS. And that's our Crime Stoppers, so they can remain anonymous. But um, Detective Springer says he has DNA. All he needs is a name where he can trace this DNA to. And he can close his case and bring closure to the family. So that's what we're hoping. Yeah.